five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. And here we are together again. What do you know about that? We're going to listen to Joe Rogan a little bit, and we're going to talk about Joe and distribution and business models. Um, the podcast has been accused of spreading dangerous misinformation specifically about two episodes, a little bit about some other ones, but specifically about two, one with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and one with Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Peter McCullough is a cardiologist and he is the most published physician in his field in history. Dr. Robert Malone owns nine patents on the creation of mRNA vaccine technology and is at least partially responsible for the creation of the technology that led to mRNA vaccines. Both these people are very highly credentialed, very intelligent, very accomplished people, and they have an opinion that's different from the mainstream narrative. I wanted to hear what their opinion is. I had them on, and because of that, those episodes in particular, uh, they, those episodes were labeled as being dangerous. They had dangerous misinformation in them. The problem I have with the term misinformation, especially today, is that many of the things that we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as fact. Like, for instance, eight months Digital ago, if media. you said, if you get vaccinated, you can still catch COVID and you can still spread COVID, you would be removed from social media. They would, they would ban you from certain platforms. Now, that's accepted as fact. If you said, I don't think cloth masks work, you would be banned from social media. Now, that's openly and repeatedly stated on CNN. If you said, I think it's possible that COVID-19 came from a lab, you'd be banned from many social media platforms. Now, that's on the cover of Newsweek. All of those theories that at one point in time were banned were openly discussed by those two men that I had on my podcast that have been accused of dangerous misinformation. I do not know if they're right. I don't know because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them. Do I get things wrong? Absolutely, I get things wrong, but I try to correct them. Whenever I get something wrong, I try to correct it because I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in finding out what the truth is. And I'm interested in having interesting conversations with people that have differing opinions. That's probably enough. <clears throat> now, if you read, if you search for Joe, uh, what's really interesting to me is you'll find all kinds of articles. Everybody's got a take on Joe Rogan and on this on these episodes. And the hard part about it is that the takes are mm, here. Here's a good one. Here's a good example. Media Post, which I quote often. Carlene Lukovitz. I don't know her for sure. I don't know for sure that I know her. I'll reach out to her. I'll tag her with this. So she's welcome to come on the show and defend whatever it is I said about her. <clears throat> but I'm not going to say anything really about her. But v Rogan apologizes. Okay, well, I listened to that now. I think four times I've listened to that, that little apology. And the apologies run like this. <clears throat> if you're pissed off, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, that's like saying to your wife, I'm sorry you're upset. I'm not sorry with what I did. I'm sorry you're upset. That's exactly the, there wasn't, it wasn't an apology. He was just saying, I didn't mean to upset you, but if you got upset, well, that's some, I didn't, you know, it's 
Sorry. Sorry you got upset. Vows. I love that. Vows to balance. Well, he said, there's some things I can do. I can have, when I have a controversial speaker on one side, I can get an opposing controversial speaker that, you know, the next episode or something. I could try to do that. Uh, he said, I'd like to do that. <clears throat> but, you know, I'm sure the scheduling and all that is a, is a nightmare. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, and they're going to have a, an advisory panel uh, to go over the, the, so if you don't know what this is about, um, Joe Rogan had two shows one by this cardiologist and one by uh, Dr. Robert Malone. Not, now, I listened to the, that one for maybe an hour. Um, and Robert Malone's credentials section, he said, why don't you give me a, you know, your, your credentials to start with? And, and Robert's, Dr. Robert said, I'll give you a shorter version. And you would, I could not believe it. I mean, all the things he's done with Harvard, with the National Institute of Health, with World uh, Health, with the Department of Defense uh, for, you know, for um, uh, viral threats and this kind of stuff. Uh, it, it went on 20 minutes. And, uh, and, and some of the notable work he did was at the University of Wisconsin. So yay for that. Um, since this is the WDMA, I, and I went to the two degrees, the University of Wisconsin. So, uh, so... Uh, it was shocking. I, I highly recommend you listen to it. Guy's got a completely different opinion, you know, but when you read the articles about the show, what you'll hear is Dr. Malone compared the COVID response to, to uh, you know, the Nazis. Well, he, he did say, I heard him say, point blank, that 500,000 people, and I think he meant in America, but it's it probably more more likely in the world, 500,000 people died needlessly because of the way the treatment was withheld and because of the ventilators and all the rest of the stuff. And, uh, you know, and he's been vaccinated and stuff. So he has his opinion, okay? I highly recommend you listen, but listen to as much of it as you can handle. I mean, you know, don't just, don't just listen to the excerpts because, you know, the, none of the experts even mentioned how credentialed uh, Malone and the other guy were. Now, um, Neil Young got upset. And and one of the things I learned from one of these is that Neil Young was a polio survivor, which I didn't know. And so he's a, a big fan of vaccine vaccine efficacy. And, I, you know, I got the pol polio vaccine when I was a kid. I remember getting the sugar cube. And uh, it, it was... It's like legendary. It's like a mythology of vaccination, how the, the polio stopped basically instantly with the vaccine. But interestingly, a couple of maybe a year ago, I listened to, I stumbled across a, uh, I stumbled across a YouTube video that was an archive video of doctors from the United States and Europe talking about vaccines probably, you know, because of COVID. And, and they said, you know, everybody in America thinks that the polio vaccine stopped polio. And perhaps it did. It's hard to say. But in Europe and Africa, polio also stopped, completely stopped at about the same time. And they didn't have the vaccine. 
So it may have been, remember, correlation is not causation. And I haven't verified this. I mean, you're going to go check it out. It's, it's fine with me. I, I just had never heard anything like it. This was from a panel from the 80s. Okay, so it wasn't in the context of COVID. It had nothing to do with COVID. It just said that we tend to elevate evidence that confirms our opinions. And that was not evidence I'd ever heard before that, that it, it equally stopped. I have heard that, that viruses stop mysteriously. They, they stop. They've always stopped. All through history, we get viruses and then they tend to get more contagious and less uh, and less deadly, and then they stop. And then something new comes along, right? So, <clears throat> but the virologists that I've listened to, and I haven't listened to that many, and I don't know anything about this, said they're not quite sure why they stop. They do. So anyway, uh, so, th so this is one take. Uh, the company hasn't changed its existing and vowed to balance, and, you know, it makes it sound like Joe's got his tail between his legs. Um, and Malone here, it says, compared the atrocities to the Holocaust. Yes, he did. And 270 medical professionals said that they thought he should be quiet and that Spotify should stop Rogan. And that's not very many, to be honest about it. 270, you know, there's probably more than that in Waukesha County, right? But anyway, they wrote a letter. That's nice. Um, and yeah, if I pissed you off, I'm sorry. That's the kind of apology. There was a few of them in there. Uh, some other people besides Neil Young. Now, Neil Young, and not too many people mention this, Neil Young has all his music available on his own website. He probably owns his own catalog, unlike most recording artists, you know, who sold the rights to, uh, to a published, to a recording company and in exchange for getting them started, you know. And so, so he, unlike most can say, I don't care about Spotify. Most artists would lose 30% of their business, just like that, if they pulled their catalog off. That's why you won't hear most artists doing it. Okay, Neil Young and Neil Young's old band. I didn't know Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young was Neil Young. I didn't, I, I'd forgotten that connection. So those guys joined in with him. So it's basically one band, Joni Mitchell. I heard that Barbra Streisand was thinking about it but it's going to be hard because most artists would lose 30% of their of their of their revenue just by doing it. So, and we'll get to that with Ritson in a second. Better get over there. Okay. Excellent article by the Hustle by Trung Fang, who I uh, often cite. Um, you know, I mean, just look at the picture of. <laughs> just look at. You know, I asked my daughter if she knew who Neil Young was. And she, you know, she's 30, so she's, I mean, she's over 30, so she's on her way to maybe listening to this. Maybe that's the market for Joe Rogan. Maybe it goes, it skews more toward elderly than, you know, than teenagers. Don't know. But the point is, is that these guys are not setting the world on fire with their trendy new music. They've gotten the royalties and they, and that's what they got. So anyway, the hustle said, here's the most interesting part, maybe of the whole thing. The hustle said, gee, it's funny. Um, it's funny that uh, Spotify has, you know, they spent a hundred million on Rogan, but they've also spent like crazy buying tools, buying content. And here's the issue. Spotify's gross margin 
has plateaued on music, has plateaued at 25%. Because the more a song gets listened to, the higher the percentages that go to the artist. So there's a scale problem, is that if Spotify promotes a song and it catches on, they actually get less margin than if they just have millions and millions and millions of songs and they all get listened to a little bit. Interesting, isn't it? So uh, they have a variable scale in commissions. On the other hand, on the other hand, Spotify's gross margins can get up to 40% in the audio ad marketplace and especially within podcasts because you don't put an ad in the middle of a song. It's just not going to do it. And Netflix did a sim similar thing when they started building its own their own content. Okay, But owning your content, yeah, then some of the things are hits and some of the things aren't, right? Now Ritson gets at a more interesting issue. One thing he mentions is that Neil Young is a oh I already said that is a polio, is a polio survivor, um, and uh, he met Rogan long ago before Joe was famous, um, and he says Joe is a little bit on his own path, uh, and is willing to take a different perspective and you know, I mean he never intended his podcast I've listened to him talk about it to become very very. Uh, expansive and be the influencer that he is his political beefs beliefs encompass both gun rights and gay rights well put he endorsed bernie sanders well he didn't really endorse bernie sanders but he said he kind of liked bernie sanders and i think bernie came on the show in fact um he has little if any concern for the status quo or how it may might make him look i like that and uh, Ritson says, Rogan is a rare independent mind in a culture that seems increasingly tied to dogma and partisan perspectives. Okay, he has a skepticism. He's been wrong before. Um, he's uncontrollable. But here's the issue. Here's the real issue. The real issue is that, and don't look at Spotify stocks. The real issue is that five companies represent 80% of the global streaming opportunity. And there's an incentive. You know, the problem I have with cable and paying for sports is nobody has all the sports. You know, the Big Ten, there's the Big Ten network I'd have to sign up for. There's there's Major League Baseball, there's the NFL network, there's ESPN Plus, and none of them have it all. In fact, my daughter has ESPN Plus to watch MMA and the big fights aren't even on it. Yeah, those are still pay-per-view. So you have a fragmented market, whereas in music, you can join one of these and get most of the music in the world. I mean, you have access to it. Okay, so there's five networks that basically control the music industry. And Spotify has 70 million songs and adds 60,000 every day. Okay, so there's literally millions of potential replacements. So if you say, oh, gee, Neil Young isn't on there anymore. Well, listen to Cat Stevens or something. I mean, there's, like, you know, there's a, there's a hundred other artists that sound like Neil Young uh, if you really wanted to hear that kind of music. I'm sure there's there's thousands probably on there. And you'd, you'd have an adventure. It would be it would be kind of fun to, to, to go and try and replace. Well, and, and I'm sure there's YouTube videos or whatever, how to replace Neil Young on your Spotify playlist. It would be a great, it would be a great video to, to read. If I knew more about music, I might do it. 
But losing access to 31% of the market is the difference between success and failure for many of the record companies that run these artists, okay? It's like this in retail also. Few retailers at the end of the distribution channels enjoy exactly the same dominion over their multitude of unfortunate suppliers. He says there's probably 2,000 Australian wine companies who'd like to get to the British consumer. There's 10,000 different bottles of wine then because each of them have like five labels. And there's five retailers that control 70% of all off-premise sales. That means not in a bar. <clears throat> so they might have a maximum of 1,000 a, a SKUs in any given store and maybe 15% would be dedicated to Aussie wines. That gives 150 Australian wines. There's 10,000 competing supply options, five retailers, each with 150 slots. So he talks about a retail experience with a U.S. giant. Uh, the, 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 the merchant who was selling the product i think it was a famous wine brand a very famous wine brand they spent they spent they prepared for their annual negotiations negotiations with a u.s retail giant his team spent weeks looking at data working with famous negotiations experts role-playing the outcomes preparing 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 on the morning of the meeting he walked into a drab room in the retailer's headquarters typically they're dumpy I've been I've been to Sam's Club headquarters. Uh, it was beyond below dumpy uh, with his team behind him. They don't want to make it look like they're making any money. His opposite number smiled and suggested coffee. While they waited, the retailer offered an interesting insight for both teams to ponder. We ran the numbers over the weekend and we estimate that we must be about 30 to 35 percent of your U.S. sales. We, the retailer, represent 30 five percent of your a third of your sales the wine rep grimaced the retailer's estimate was spot on and guess what share of our total sales you represent to us the wine executive grimaced again well it's less than 0.00 it said and he looked at his number two guy and said zero 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 eight percent it's like eight millionths of eight millionths of our sales. Anywho, the retail said, suddenly becoming serious and opening the documents in front of him. Let's talk next year. I think that means goodbye. We don't care. We don't care about you at all because you don't represent anything. And Neil Young is in the same boat. And probably so is Barbara Streisand. And they've got their houses in the Virgin Islands, and so they're not going to get hurt. But a lot, of, a lot of recording artists would get hurt and aren't going to say too much, okay? It's a point missed by too many marketers. That's why I'm talking to you about it. It's a point missed by too many marketers when they wildly advise brands to withdraw from certain retailers or extol them to push for better terms. It's nonsense talk. So I was hired by Chicago Cutlery, General Housewares is the name of the parent company. And they said, we'd like to do a catalog just like uh, Williams-Sonoma or the chef's catalog. And I'd actually worked on the chef's catalog a little bit. So I knew the category pretty well, and I was interested in, uh, in, I'm interested in cooking. And so I said, great. So I put together a pro forma, and I showed how they could, be, they could profitably grow to $10 million in sales in five years. 
I'd grown to five million in sales or 10 million in sales in three years with another company. So it wasn't a big stretch. And when I presented it, get down in the middle of Indiana, they said, oh, that won't even replace one retailer if they get mad because we do it. And that was it. They, they understood it. You know, they were doing a hundred thousand dollars. No, I think they were doing a hundred thousand a month. I think they were doing about a million a year. I should. And so what I should have done, if I, you know, I was young, I wasn't that young, but I should have, I should have asked them what kind of growth they want. We could have gotten them any, we could have put them on any growth path they wanted with mail. It's very, very scalable, but I didn't appreciate that we needed to get to 40 million or 50 million fast and we had a plan for working with retailers. I mean, Sears, the way the Sears catalog worked was the catalog gave 10% of their sales back to the retail stores based on zip code or location. So the, so the stores kept saying, mail more, mail more, because they were making more money on the rebate from the catalog than they were on the stores. And that was the truth. And so the... The stores kept wanting to mail more, so Sears was a $5 billion company and could have been a $3 billion company, probably profitable. But they were subsidizing the stores. So they were giving away, they were giving away a half a, a half a billion dollars back to the stores every year. Well, that knocks out profit pretty fast. So the accountants looked at it and said, well, they're not profitable. We need to shut them down. And that was probably the beginning of the end for Sears because they had accountants making really dumb decisions. They fired 800 people. But this is the kind of, this tells you how the world works. This is the real world, okay? Joe Rogan, as a podcaster, can contain ads in his show. Also, Joe Rogan's kind of been paid. So Joe Rogan has a flat cost and you know, a high upside. No matter how many people listen to Joe Rogan, Spotify already paid the cost. Okay. So according to Ritson, none of the major artists will join the protest. They can't afford to. If anything, the saga and the attention it's drawn to Spotify and its influence in both spoken word and musical streaming will surely send its share prices higher in the months to come. I mean, a lot of the reason... Ritson rightly points out, a lot of the reason that Spotify has lost 40% of its value in the last year is because it went way up because of COVID. Entertainment options were limited. You know, the number of audiobooks you want you were until you were sick of it, at least the podcast had fresh content. Audio content. And so if you're stuck, you can listen to podcasts. You can listen to them while you worked out. You could probably listen to them on Zoom calls. So you could listen, you could listen. To a, you know, it was a big thing. Spotify became the big deal, one of the big deals in the media mix of the COVID lockdown. Lockdowns winding down, and so don't be surprised. At least that story has lost its punch. So it has the ultimate power of retail symmetry on its side, after all. And in Joe Rogan, a man who can play the game from both from any angle probably right. You know, he's complicated. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. In the spirit of Joe Rogan, I went a little longer today.
Now he goes four hours, you know, and I never go this long, but I thought it was worth it. It was worth thinking about retail and distribution and margin and how that affects the news. Bye-bye.